y'all how you doing how you feeling how you living thanks for joining me today it's your girl akua your host for dem coins podcast where we help millennials of faith gain clarity on what they truly value manage and increase their income and crush their financial goals and in today's episode we have a special guest miss jocelyn ross of the real estate prep podcast she's going to be talking about strategies for first-time home buyers and we're also going to talk a little bit about REITs. enjoy Hello everyone, happy spring. I hope you're doing well. And if you're not, hopefully by the end of this episode, you'll be doing well. I thank you for your time, whether you're cleaning your house or you're chilling, whatever you're doing, you could be listening to the other 10,000 podcasts, but you're here with me. And for that, I am so very grateful. And if you are enjoying this content, feel free to rate and review this podcast wherever you listen. All right, now on to today's guest, we have Jocelyn Ross. Who is Jocelyn? Jocelyn is a certified financial educator and podcaster with a personal mission to help 50 people purchase their first home within the next 365 days. She created and implemented a plan to not only pay off her $70,000 student loan debt, but also to diversify her passive income streams with Real Estate Investment Trust, also known as REITs. She's now debt-free, doubled her savings, and increased her credit score by 60 points. She wants to empower other inspiring home buyers to take control of their finances so that they can begin to build generational wealth through real estate. So without further ado, let's get into this interview. All right. Hello, DC family. We have a special guest today. Yes, we are talking to Miss Jocelyn Frost. She's going to tell us about how she purchased her first home by herself, how she fixed her credit, how she started investing in real estate. We're going to get into all of that. So first and foremost, thank you, Jocelyn, for coming on the podcast. Yay. (laughs) I'm excited. Yes, yes. So first, we're going to talk about the home ownership process, and then we're going to talk about REITs. So Jocelyn, why was purchasing a home so important to you? Yeah, it was important to me because I really know my history, and I know that there has been many sort of challenges that people like me face, you know, Black people essentially. And when it comes to getting a home, and so I had firsthand knowledge of that history, like redlining and subprime loans, but also I knew about some of the other, like, you know, not necessarily systematic, but challenges that we face in regards to student loans and just not really having that financial mindset. And for the few that did, you know, when we think about past decades, the main way that they were building wealth was through real estate. And so that was one thing that my mom really drove home. And to me, like my aunt is, she's an agent, a real estate agent, and she's been licensed for a very long time. And she does that in addition to other, you know, work needs. And then her husband, my uncle was a contractor. So I've always sort of been around this space, not saying they're, you know, buying blocks, but you know, when you get a peak of something, it it becomes the norm. So, you know, like, thankfully, like my background is very middle class, like I didn't grow up like challenged, like, and that's not to say I had a silver spoon. But like, as far as having a home, we always had a home, you know, and if we didn't, then, you know, that was rare. I always like to think back to one thing in particular, when it came to me paying off my student loan debt, which I know we're going to talk about later. And uh, some of the money that my mom gave me to accomplish that was money that she got from when my grandparents bought a home, you know, back in like the 1940s. So her and her siblings sold the home like a couple of years ago, you know, her chunk that she got, she gave me a little bit to pay off my loans and that not all of my loans, but it contributed to me paying them off quicker. (laughs) So, you know, I just think about like, what is the first thing, you know, when it comes to me? And what I would decide to leave for my future legacy, like I don't have children, but I have a godson and we pretty much treat him all like he's ours, even though he's my cousin. So it's like now when I'm thinking about my beneficiaries, like I'm putting his name down. I'm like, you know, I want what I do now to positively impact him. Like every generation should leave the next one better than the last. And that's something that my mom and, you know, my aunts and my uncles also instilled in, in us. So really it was just a part of my 
genetic makeup and it was very hard to make it happen <laughs> and and I know we're going to talk about that but you know it's not just me when I think of that like I have tons of friends like I mentioned student loans credit card debt like it's just so hard to buy but I feel like there's a reason for that and it, you know when you own the land like you have a say so not only just generationally but you know when it comes to laws and property and the changes that they're making in your neighborhood as a renter you don't have a say so so for me it was like why would I rent forever my landlord can come and be like okay girl like it's time to go <laughs> you know you don't want that and also I wanted to have a piece of land because like I mentioned that opens the door to so many other things I have you know a say so like I have something that again like if I think about my future like this is going to help somebody else further down my bloodline so I just knew it was always bigger than me and I'm thankful that you know my mom and like I mentioned like all of my other aunts and uncles really drove that point home so that was long-winded but you get the no that was good I was like you are speaking my language <laughs> talk about the history yeah. when we talk about long-term history and also just like the history within your sort of nucleus immediate family yeah. intergenerational wealth and one thing that I love that you kept saying was I have a say so that is so true with ownership you get a say so now yeah on a political scale on all levels you get a say so now so then back then when you say okay I want to buy a home did you find that when you, you know, contacted whoever, you know, the popular banks, were you finding that you were just completely, they wouldn't give you any type of money or that they're not giving you the amount of money that you wanted for a home? Mm -hmm. I think it was more on the latter side. I never was like denied in a sense. So my first experience was actually in DC. I know we spoke on, you know, DC before we started recording, but I lived in D.C. for close to six years. I love it. I consider it like my second home. But D.C. is very expensive. And I, I always knew that, you know, and it got more and more expensive over time. But like when it was time for me to buy, I was like, oh, my God, like they approved me for the, I don't want to say pennies. But like when I thought about what I wanted, I was like, OK, girl, like you're going to have to be either in this neighborhood <laughs> or you're going to have to be in a home that's going to need some work or you're going to have to be super far out. And at the time, the company that I was working for, it was headquartered in Northern Virginia, but my client was in D.C. So I'm like, OK, no matter where I live, like I just need to get access to D.C. like in less than an hour because commuting in D.C. is basically an hour. It doesn't matter where you live unless you live in the city, it's going to take you at least 30 minutes. But most people had a commute of an hour. So I'm like, all right, as long as I can get to the train or to drive in, like I needed the options. But it wasn't hard to get the pre-approval because like I mentioned, I had the financial knowledge. But the one thing that helped me back from getting more was my student loan. So I went to, you know, an HBCU, Clark Atlanta, and it's a private institution. And I didn't have a rich uncle or, you know, a rich grandparents to fund my education. Like they did the best that they could, but it's like, well, girl, you could have went to a state school. Like ain't nobody telling yes. you to go to <laughs> So if you want to go there, it's on you. You're an adult. That's an adult's decision. So you're going to have to, you know, approach it that way. So I'm like, whatever. Like, I don't know what loans are. I mean, I know what they are, but I didn't know how much they would hold me back ultimately when it came to the home. So I got it pre-approved. It wasn't an issue because I had pretty good credit. Like my income was good. Like I managed my money well, but it was the student loans because obviously, well, not obviously, but if you are familiar with the home buying process, there's debt to income ratio. And that's something that people don't assume. They think that they can out earn that or that, you know, if I'm paying the minimum, I'm good. But really the minimum is like nothing. Like if you're not putting a real debt, in your debt, whether that's credit card or student loans or any other medical debt, like, then it's always going to haunt you. And people think that they can out earn it or they can die with their debt. And you can, but if you want to make real wealth moves, then at some point it's going to behoove you to make some changes. So I was like, whatever, like, I'm going to just keep moving, you know, through the process. And I did, but I realized that as I looked at different homes, I was happy with them. But when I looked at the final three that I actually put offers in, I didn't get any of those, you know, during the first go round. And I assumed it was because not only my student loans, but, you know, people had more competitive offers. They were putting in more because they had that flexibility that I didn't. I couldn't go back and say, okay, well, let me quickly pay off 5000 10000 Like what I have is what I have. So, you know, I had to really get sit still and say, okay, you're going to keep getting these 
denies or like ghosting or you're going to do something about it. So I decided to do something about it. And that led to me paying off my student loan debt in full. Like I had like over 70,000 and that was a hard decision to leave DC to put essentially the majority of the money that I was making to these loans and alter my whole life. My whole lifestyle had to be changed to do that. Like I had to give up my freedom, I like to say, because I was living on my own, you know, when I had to move back in with my mom as an adult, like that is not fun, but I wouldn't regret it at all. And now that I'm at the point where I'm at now, like I'm in a much better place financially. Like I have things that I have been working towards and now it's just about adding more to that. But it took me saying, okay, girl, like you have to get over yourself. Like, yeah, you, you're free and all that, but it's only a, a small detour. And it ended up being less time. I allotted, you know, for two years and I paid it off in like 17, 18 months. So when you're focused and ready to get out of that home, then you'll do the work that you need to do. So yeah, I had the options, but like I mentioned for the homes that I like, I'm kind of bougie when it comes to homes. I didn't want, you know, you know, a little rundown place. Okay. I didn't want that for my life. My home. I know people like to buy back the block, but I'm like, I don't even understand none of this work. Like my uncle's not here to lead me through that. So why would I invest in something? And I might have bought it for 10, 20,000, but the work ended up being 60, 70,000, even 100,000. If I don't know how to speak a contractor's lingo, they could just play me, especially as a woman. Like, a black woman. So I was like, yeah, it's to know. I need something that's new construction or something that is moving ready. I don't want anything super outdated. I don't want anything that required a lot of repairs. And I fell in love, like I said, with those three homes, but people outbid me. And that's just the name of the game. It's a big gamble. Oh, Jocelyn, you, <laughs> you talked about <laughs> a lot of things that, oh my God, I love. Okay. So, whew sacrifices. And we can't just breeze over the fact that you paid $70,000 of debt in 18 months. That is crazy. So, so you move back in obviously to like save and, you know, pay off towards the debt. Were there any other kind of strategy things that you were doing during that time period? Yeah. Yeah. Like I mentioned, giving up the the apartment that I was living in, moving back uh, across the coast. I'm from West coast, Oakland originally. So moving back there, And I also on the side, I've always, not always, but as of like 2016, I realized that though I was getting paid pretty well, like I was really becoming good at what I did and my background is marketing. So I launched my own agency and, you know, people say like, you know, don't expect to make tons of money in your first year, but I made a lot of money in my first year and my target was black businesses specifically. And, you know, this was before this whole little buy black initiative that everybody's doing now, which is great. But back then, I guess being in D.C., going to an HBCU, being from Oakland, like for me, it was always the norm to like support businesses in your community. So I just was aware of a lot of businesses and they weren't online. And my background is like digital marketing specifically, not necessarily like events and some other things that people do. And I'm like, okay, like this is one of my favorite restaurants. Like originally I started with restaurants and I'm like. Nobody can find you. Like, I only know you because I pass you and I know that you have good church chicken. But like, what about everybody else that's moving to this area? Yes. You know, like, <laughs> and you know, they were like, well, we already have a consistent clientele, but it's like, don't you want more? You know, people are always are going to be changing, moving to the area, visiting the area. Like my goal is to help them like establish their digital footprint. So that's how I started. And people just like started sharing it with other people. So a month after starting that agency, I started promoting myself, obviously, and another HBCU grad actually reached out to me. He had a financial firm that he was launching and he needed help with like web development, like website development and all that stuff. So I did a marketing strategy for him. He loved it, paid me for it. And then he introduced me to somebody else, you know, and then that turned me into somebody else. And it just started like, I was tired. I was very tired, (laughs) but I said, yes. And I'm like, wow, like people say that the first year is going to be hard. I'm tired. I've never quit my job. I'm like, I'm still doing this, but I'm doing this at night, working till one or two o'clock in the morning, turning around, going back to work. But none of that was helping because that was money that I just started making. So I couldn't go back and get the pre-approval. Like you want to keep the one that you have for 90 days. So I'm like, okay, like I need to keep doing this, keep the job and just move back home so that I can put all that money towards the goal, which is to get rid of these student loans because they're holding me back. 
So I moved back to Cali and kept hustling. My mom was very worried because I used to just work around the clock. She was like, you need to go to bed. Like, you weren't working too much. You know, like, is this your job or is this your stuff? And so she got worried. But then over time, I was able to kind of alleviate that. But for me, it was just like, get this out the door. Like, get it out the door. If nothing in HBC teaches you, it's like, you got to have multiple hustles. And so that continued when I moved back to Cali and people introduced me to more people. Like, I never really had to market myself, if I'm honest. Most of my business came from referrals. But yeah, like I was doing that on the side and then I opened up like my account strategically. So a lot of people like to just keep all their money in one account. And that just didn't work well for me because I needed to have this one account to pay all of my bills. And I learned this from the budgetista. It wasn't my idea. Like I always credit her when people ask me like how I set up my accounts. So she started talking about like how she set hers up. Obviously I had savings, but like I had a fun account that I established based on her That way, like, I didn't want my life to stop when I could turn off my laptop. I did want to go hang out with family and friends. But once that money was gone, it was gone. You know, like, my checking account was fully, like, bills. Like, paying my mom rent, which was little to nothing. Like, paying whatever other bills I had. And then paying off my debt. So, like, as soon as that direct deposit hit, I allocated it to all the other things. Once the money was gone for fun, it was gone. And I just was like, I can't hang out until the next check. So, yeah, those are the two things that I did. I ran my agency on the side, kept my job. People always talk about quitting jobs. I'm not a big fan of that unless you've really proven your concept and out-earned your check. Like, it was never to a point where I out-earned my check, so why would I leave it? I didn't hate my job either. Like, I had some moments, but it wasn't enough for me to leave because I had a goal. Okay. <laughs> so, yeah, um, did the agency on the side and then set up my account strategically so that I could uh, pay more. Like, do what you need to do to get towards your goal. Mm-hmm. So my goal is to not work. Like, I'm setting up my own little retirement plan with my financial planner. Like, I don't want to work till 60. Like, I'm trying to be out okay. here for the next 15 <laughs> years. <laughs> but I'm not going to tell employers that. Like, I'm thankful that I've chosen jobs that I actually like whether that's a job or the the team, because, you know, you don't get the perfect scenario on every, every job, but yeah. Okay. Well, so I guess more of the story is I should have went to HBCU because... <laughs> <laughs> Oh, that is awesome. Like, cause you had the marketing background, but you technically didn't have to use it a ton. It was just word of mouth. You help one person here and then it just boom, boom, boom. And all of a sudden yeah. a side hustle is bringing in all this money. You're like, oh, okay. Yeah. yeah. And also yeah. separating the accounts. That is so good. That is something that I'm actively working on. So that is really, really good advice. And I love the Bajanisa as well. So <laughs> we on the same page. Yes. And I love that in the home buying process, you discussed how you know, a lot of people tell you, you know, like, oh, like buy the fixer up or just fix it up and then it's going to appreciate and blah, blah, blah. And you were very keen on knowing yourself, right? That's what I love, Champion, is knowing yourself. So for people who are just, I don't even know where to start. I just know I want a home. What are your top two things to do first to get yourself in order to buy a home? Yeah. Um, I would say the first thing is to really sit and look at your money, like the money that's coming in and the money that's going out. Cause a lot of people don't, you know, they just know how much they make, you know, and especially when it comes to the money that's going out beyond like rent and some of the other big expenses, like people don't realize what the smaller expenses are doing to either help you or hurt you. So I would say sit and really like attempt to like work off of a budget, you know, like after you identify what's coming in and what's going out, like see if you can stick to a budget for like a week. And if you can't, then you'll at least identify, okay, well, I underestimated how much I'm spending on groceries or whatever you, all you should be spending at this point is groceries because we're in a pandemic. But anyway, you know, you have other things like gas should be little to nothing at this point. But you know, if you are still a essential worker, then you want to include that, but like said something realistic. I think people underestimate how much money is moving within their household and include stuff like whatever you're spending on your children or any support that you're providing with your family as well, because all those things are going to impact how you are approved. The more, you know, your numbers, the better it's going to be for you to advocate and that you're not surprised when something comes back and it's out of the ordinary. And then the second thing I think you should do is to get an idea of where you stand. So I actually just spoke with one of my best friends 
about this because she's going through the process. Well, not going through, but she's preparing for the process. So she's actually really good with money and makes a lot of money right now. But home buying is very scary. Like, and she knew of my experience. So especially in DC, like it was, it wasn't horrible, but the fact that I didn't get the home really kind of still hurts me. But I would say the second step is to talk with a lender. People always go to an agent first and I think that's fine as well. But I feel like there's so many resources out there that you can use before you even talk to an agent because you have to think about it. Like their bandwidth is limited. And based on the little bit of experience I've had with agents, like they want people that are ready now. So you're not going to be at the top of their priority unless they have the time. A lot of them do not. And I just feel like when it comes to your money, a lender is going to know more because that's the person who's giving you the loan. Their real estate agent is not giving you the loan. They're just facilitating that whole process. And people like to say like, okay, well, I know I want a single family in this area and all of that's great. But what if you don't even qualify for that? Then you just wasted your time. So I told her to get either pre-approved or pre-qualified. Pre-approval is more accurate. And in my experience and in my limited understanding, I'm not an agent. I'm just going off my experience, but they look at everything, you know? And as I mentioned before, the pre-approval lasts for, for 90 days. So even if you realize in month one, okay, this was a little more or a little less than I planned for, let me use these next 30 or 60 days to clean it up or like, okay, I got a lot of work to do. This is fine for 90 days. I don't even have to touch it. I now know where I stand and now I can work over the next six months, next year, whatever. Like when it's time for me to get back out there, like I don't even want to waste time with the pre-qualification letter unless like it's a year out or really that's it. Six months to a year out. Like right now it might make sense for me to understand where, where I am, but I'm not looking to, to buy at this moment. So I'm like, I don't even need to where I need to just keep stacking and just manage what I have. So I think those would be the two is to really get a clear understanding of like what's coming in, what's going out. See if you can stick to a budget because if you can't, then bad money habits now are not going to translate into better money habits later. Like utilizing these resources is key. And if you want what they have, don't copy and paste, but like take what you can and alter it to your lifestyle. Just get an understanding of like how your money's going out. Don't be afraid to reach out and ask for other resources. All of us are very easily accessible. Like I respond to everything and then get that pre-approval or that pre-qualification letter because we think we can qualify for more than we do. Most times (laughs) it's a shocker. You're like, wait a minute, I thought, but I'm making this much money. And the lender's like, okay, but you also have this much in debt. So either you're going to have to earn more or you're going to have to pay down. Control what you can control. And it's typically your debt and how you manage the money that you currently have. Yes. Ooh. Hmm. Ooh, Jocelyn, you're dropping nuggets on nuggets. That was amazing. <laughs> so yeah, I love that you make the distinction between pre-approval and pre-qualification because they are very, very different. Pre-approval mm-hmm. is that step up where they actually, okay, we're going to pull your credit. We're going to see your debt-to-income ratio. And by the way, if y'all don't know what debt-to-income ratio is, it is simply a monthly comparison of your debt payments to your income and it is your net income, but that's what it is just in case you don't know what that is. But yeah, that is some really good advice. Yes. So now we're going to kind of like sort of shift into like the investing part. So we're going to talk a little bit about REITs. So first, can you kind of explain what REITs are for people who don't really know what those are? Yeah. So REITs stand for Real Estate Investment Trust. Um, And I like to explain them as stocks like as you would buy stock in Google or Netflix, but you're buying stock into property. So that property could be residential, like apartment buildings, or it could be a commercial, which would be office buildings, or it could be a combination of both. Like a lot of companies, especially if you live close to like a metro area, the apartments might be on the top and then there might be some businesses, a nail shop or grocery, not a grocery store, but like a restaurant or something at the bottom. Those also qualify as Maltese property. So I consider them stocks, but for real estate and properties. And the great thing about them is that they are a low sort of entry investment. So obviously, if you're buying a home, you're going to need a couple of thousand. I know some people say that you can walk to closing with zero. I don't know anybody who's ever walked to the closing table with zero dollars. I wish I could. I'm looking forward to experience that. But in my knowledge, like, I don't know anybody who's done that. But with this, you can walk to the table with like a couple of hundred dollars. So how I started, and I want to point out one more important distinction with REITs versus traditional stocks. 
is that real estate investment trusts are required to pay out 90% of their revenue, which is their income to investors. So I'm an investor. So I'm getting quarterly checks or quarterly direct deposits because I've invested in these different REITs. So there are two types of REITs. One is public REITs, which you can find on like E-Trade and Robinhood, even though they got a lot going on, I wouldn't start with Robinhood. I'm not a financial advisor. Right, right, right. Um, yeah, we know that. That's me. That happened this week or last week. <laughs> so you can buy, you know, REITs on that. And then you can also buy REITs privately. So I started privately and I started with uh, Fundrise. So Fundrise has a requirement of you to start up your account. You needed to pay $500 and then they invest that into, you know, different properties according to your outline. So for me, I didn't understand like REIT. So I was like, I needed to start with something that I can understand. So for the great thing I like about Fundrise is that these are properties and these are neighborhoods and cities that I can understand and they allow you to invest based on your goals. So it's like, do you want immediate uh, returns back, which is basically like a, the debt side? So do you want people that are already like occupied in their space or they're paid the building in full. So they're paying the money that they're getting back because it's consistent. Or do you want equity, which would be, we just bought this new piece of land. We're going to build up on it. You're not going to get your money ASAP, but you'll get it later on. And as the land appreciates, your investment's going to appreciate, which means that you'll get more money. So when I started, I was still paying off my student loan. So I'm like, well, I need all my money. Forget all that equity stuff. So I broke it down by like 90% and 10%. So I gave it a little bit of equity. So I was getting bigger checks and bigger direct deposits. And I would get them quarterly. So I started with that $500. And I was nervous when I'm like, okay, if I lose this, you know, the common investment rules, like don't invest anything that you will like, it'll impact your life. And for me, I'm like, okay, like I set aside this money. If I lose it, it's not the end of the world. And the great thing I think about Fundrise is that they actually keep you updated on the properties that you've invested in. So as it's been paid out, as it's finished construction, like you don't have to, I mean, I still go in there and check, but like they send you like consistent updates on like your account and they let you know what's going on with the company. And for me, that's important, especially as a new investor. And that gave me the confidence to know, okay, even though these aren't actual like companies, they're very much into properties. That's how it functions. Like it's a property you can go and drive by Versus some of the ones that are on the stock market, like those are a part of larger companies, you know, so it's not as easy, but it's also a lower barrier of entry. So that's REITs. It's a much lower barrier to entry, doesn't require pre-approval, doesn't require you to pay off debt. Like you can start now, just like you could start now with any other traditional like stock investing, but this is properties, you know, and like I mentioned, the big difference is the 90% that all REITs are required to pay off. Because that's essentially it's a benefit, a tax benefit for them. So again, you got to do what's best for you. Talk to a financial advisor. I just know that's something that I embarked on my own and like all the retirement and like stock investing, I lead to my financial planner. That was such a good, thorough explanation. So if I am interested in Fundrise, I got my $500 to start. Do I get to pick the individual buildings that I want, or do they customize a portfolio based on kind of like my preferences? No, you don't get to pick. You don't get to pick your property. You tell them, you fill out your investment portfolio, like you said, like these are the type of properties I'm interested in. And like I mentioned, like money-wise, like do you want more debt, which means that your money comes back quickly. Like when you pay your debt, you're getting it more versus equity where it's more long-term. So they require you to fill out like an investment profile and that's where you'll use that information to decide on your behalf what to invest in, but you can't cherry pick different properties. Oh, that's really passive. I like that. Yeah. You don't really have to do nothing for me. Like I like working smart and just to know that every quarter, like I can expect something and obviously it fluctuates according to the industry. You don't get the same amount every time. But I've yet to go through a quarter where I didn't get anything back. So for me, that's a sign that they're doing something right. And even if you don't get the money, you can actually reinvest. Like you can opt to reinvest whatever your dividends are back into it. And that's what I do for my public REITs. For my private, I actually do need to change it now that I'm at a different financial, you know, I have different goals. But for now, I'm just getting them. But the ones that I have on the, like, on the stock market, 
like on NASDAQ and stuff, those are being reinvested as well as everything that I have my uh, financial planner doing. Like, so I learned a lot from him. Like I actively go out and learn these things. Like this is, isn't stuff that I just know. Like I'm just all about working smarter and retiring early. So I'm equipping myself with the knowledge, whether that's family, like I mentioned, hiring a financial planner, talking with an agent, my lender, and them encouraging yeah. me to pay off these debt. They, they paid off in full. They're like, if you want to be in a better place, like use a couple of months to get it together. I'm like, well, no, I'm going to pay it all off. And they're like, oh, we, we didn't ask for that. But if that's what you want to Take do, all the debt off. But, you know, yeah, like if I want to build the wealth that I want, then I need to not have that as a bottleneck. And I just saw it as a bottleneck. So you want something you'll actively go out and, and create it for yourself absolutely yes oh that's awesome you're with the fire gang you're like i'm gearing up and i'm planning to retire early yeah and i didn't even know what that meant and people always reference it now and i'm like i didn't look at anything right like <laughs> i just did what was best for me you know if anything i was team budgetista but now i understand the fire method and i'm like oh, okay yeah that's what i want to do and they were like you've been doing this so no, I understand it, but I didn't understand it at first. I'm like, Dave Ramsey, like, white men don't know my life. <laughs> we have trouble. So, uh, but that is what I want to do. Thank you for the acronym. I, but I had to put it for myself. Yeah, I'm finding that same sort of thing. I'm like discovering sort of different financial things. And I'm like, oh, that's the terminology we use for that thing I've been doing. Okay, great. Like, <laughs> that is very true. So you mentioned your financial advisor quite a bit. So what are some key things that you look for in advice when looking for a financial advisor? You know, I didn't go about it a strategic way. (laughs) And I wouldn't recommend that to anyone, but I'm very happy with him. And he's really helped me a lot. We have the same mindset. So it just makes it easy. And he's black for me. Like I'm very particular. I told you this, like I'm very particular about a, employing my people in any way that I can. And also, I just feel like somebody with a background similar to mine can understand the challenges that I face. And he could, you know, which is why we're still working together. I wouldn't say that he's working on my behalf, but we very much are a team. So I would say to do your research. And I did my research on him. I actually found him through a referral through another guy who I'm very impressed with in terms of money, like I didn't know him personally, but he really built a strong community. And I like, I was following his moves for years. And I was like, wow, like he just did this. Like, that's what I want to do later. Like, I was like, okay. And he essentially, he, I don't want to say he endorsed him, but he was featured on his platform. And I was like, ah, well, I am looking for a financial planner. Let me check him out. So we interviewed and all that. It wasn't that I just said, yes, like I really understand, you know, how he thinks, like what's his methodology because every financial planner is different. And of course, I did my due diligence because this is my money we're talking about. So I did some research to make sure that everything checked out and nothing kind of was a shocker, you know. So I guess I would say the three things I don't really have best practices around it, but do your research and see what you can find online about the person. Also, like see where else they're featured, because if you start to see common things, then that's more than likely a good thing. And the great thing about the Internet is like nobody can really scam out here because all your information is online. So it's easy to do your research and also like ask questions. And if they can't even answer the questions that you have, then that's a problem. You know, if they have an attitude, that's a problem. If they don't get back to you quickly, that's a problem. Not get back to you quickly is subjective. I'm not asking you to respond in 10 minutes, but if I sent you something last month, I don't expect a month to go by unless you tell me something's going on, then I can know. But for me, the communication was good. He was willing to have as many conversations just to have a peace of mind. And the initial questions that I had based on the initial goals that I had, he was able to answer and also provide his insight. Because for me, I'm hiring you because you know more than I do. So he knew my debt payoff plan. He knew my home buying plan. Like he knew all this stuff. And he had also been through it, not necessarily paying off debt, but like the home ownership component. So even now he'd be telling me stuff that I should do. And I'm like, I don't want to do that. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> like, all right. I mean, ultimately it's your decision. Like, you know, but he was like, you should check this out. And I'm like, I don't want to spend more money. <laughs> but ultimately he, I'll go back and I'm like, you know what you're right. Like I should have did it. <laughs> so you want somebody who's going to challenge you, at least for me. Like I wanted somebody not to just take what I have, but like see in the future what type of things I could take advantage of. 
and to invest according to my age. Like the way that my mom is investing is different than the way that I'm investing. And it's because she's closer to retirement than I am. So even the way that he broke that down and like how he set up my portfolio, because I'm like, why is all my money going to stocks? Like that's scary. I'd rather put it in bonds. And he was like, no, like, let me tell you why it should be this way. And so I'm like, all right, like, listen, if I lose all my money, I know where you went. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> he was like, no, you don't. <laughs> that is so true. Cause you know, robo-advisors are super popular yeah, and that's are. an option, but I need to see you. If yeah. I pick an advisor, like we need to, uh-uh, I need a human being. Yeah. We're not, no. <laughs> and that's what I needed as well. Cause I'm like, I'm going to have tons of questions. So he sent me a book that he wrote just kind of breaking down his methodology behind why he structures his stuff, the way he does. And we have quarterly like check-ins. He's been on my podcast. Like I've been on his podcast. Like at this point we're family. <laughs> and I just haven't met his family, but um, <laughs> yeah. Like I talk to him like he's my big brother. So like, obviously this is my big brother who has tons of more knowledge of finance. He knows my goals. I essentially know portions of his goals, you know, from a financial perspective. And he's guiding me based on what he's experienced. So for me, I did need that human element. It wasn't a requirement for him him to be a man. It was a requirement for somebody to be Black. And if I didn't find anybody, then obviously I'll look elsewhere. But honestly, I wanted a Black woman, but I was happy with him. And I'm still happy with him. You know, those are all really, really good pointers. It reminded me of a scene from This Is Us, where Randall is seeing a white therapist. And he basically tells the therapist that, I can't take the armor off with you. I need to be doing therapy with a black therapist. And the white therapist was like, hey, this is your healing. Like, that's fine. Go do what's best for you. And, you know, I know a lot of people don't like to talk about it, but as black people, as black women, as black people, we have unique experiences. That's what I needed because I needed him to understand. I went to an HBCU. Like, that's that's one full complete sentence. He can understand that my next question or my next statement will more than likely relate to phones and how I had to cover my tuition myself, you know, and just all the other backstories. Like, well, why did you decide to take out loans? You could have just went to a grandparent or like, no, I couldn't. And like you mentioned, like somebody right. with a similar background, like can understand that and understand how I'm trying to climb out of that and why I make the decision that I made. You don't understand that culture, that environment, then you're going to, I don't want to say judge, but you just not understand. So I needed someone who could understand. And that translates across all of the areas of my life, like my dentist, my doctor, like I actively seek out black professionals because a, like all of that whole world is very scary, especially the medical field is just very scary. But like I mentioned, like for me, like I just know, especially running a black owned agency, working with black owned businesses, I knew firsthand the challenges that they face just trying to compete with these bigger companies and institutions. So I'm not saying I'm just going to go to somebody because they are Black. Like, you need to be good at what you do, and being a Black black person is essentially You know, you've, you've got the successful agency, you've got your home, you're on your way to another home. So then why decide to help other people and then also build a podcast talking about real estate? Like, why do Mm -hmm. that? I just feel like there's not enough knowledge on the first time homebuyer process. Like, I would always come across people with 50 doors and, you know, all these other investment terms that I don't know. I'm still kind of learning that lane. I only know about first time homebuyer life and (laughs) leads. But I just feel like no one was speaking to first-time homebuyers. But when I started my podcast, I was like, you know, when I think back to that first experience, there was just so much I didn't know. I could go to my mom. I could go to my aunt, who was an agent, but they also purchased their homes years ago. They didn't have student loan debt. Like, the things that I'm struggling with now, Yep. I mean, they told me not to do. They were like, well, didn't nobody tell you to go to Clark? Like, you could have stayed right here in California, but you decided to do that. But now, almost 10 years down the line, well, it wasn't 10 years at that point, but over five years down the line, I'm trying to buy a home and they give me the industry knowledge, but I needed the financial knowledge as a first time home buyer who was a millennial, buying on my own. So it was just a gap. Thankfully, I had a really great agent and a great lender who I wouldn't say most agents 
are not going to take the time to hold your hand the way that my agent did. And I love her for that. I sent her tons of business because when you find someone good, just like how people did for me, like I want to make sure that even if that buyer's not ready, like at least you have her contact and you need to do your work. And when you're ready, she can help you. So I just wanted to provide a platform for those people that do really good work to be highlighted. And then also I wanted to provide first time home buyers, people that want to buy a home and don't know where to start with super objective, like elementary style steps. So just being that, I want to say that millennial voice, specifically a black millennial voice, because real estate is still very white, in my opinion, it's very white male. And to see a black woman, like I'm very strategic, like everybody on my podcast is black, because like I said, the industry is very white. And I want to provide like I mentioned, a platform for people that I know are good at what they do to operate with integrity because real estate is very scary. I get it. It was scary for me despite being around it growing up. Like it's nothing like going through it yourself. And I'm still afraid when I think about all the other things that I want to do. It's like, okay, girl, like I know you want to buy next year, but like don't rush it like until you feel like it's your time. So as my podcast continues to grow, I took a long break because I had a lot going on. But as I come back for my third season, like, I'm going to inject more of my experience into it. And I didn't do that because I feel like I'm still learning myself. Like, who am I to be telling people what to do? But when I think about questions that people have and what they respond to online, it's typically about my journey. So I'm going to be peeling back the layers a lot more. And as I move through my own like wealth expansion, like buying my second home, my third home, all that's going to come along with the podcast. And I'm just learning to embrace it and be a voice for people who feel like they don't have anyone to turn to, you know, like they, I don't want them to rely on their agent for everything. I don't want them to rely on their lender for everything. I don't even want them to rely on their closing attorney or their title inspect, you know, like inspections. Like there's just so many people that have their hands on your money and you don't even know what the proper questions to ask them. So like I said, like I really dub it down for people and I want them to be able to take notes and apply it to them. But like I said, as I get better, like I just want to pour that back out to people because I wish I had a resource like mine and like yours when I was starting off. It would have made it a lot easier to know that somebody's objectively giving me advice and not subjectively, which is what your agent might do or your lender might do. So just equipping people with knowledge and hoping that opens doors to other things that I want to do. Jocelyn, this has been phenomenal. And so this is the portion where we're kind of wrapping it up. So we have a few quick wrap up questions. So the first one is, what is your current mantra or piece of advice that you're living by right now? Uh, Let me think. I would say that everything happens for a reason, season and lifetime. I feel like that's very generic, but especially the season component Like I lost my job last year due to COVID and that hit a lot harder than I expected it to. I think when it first happened, I shed a few tears and I'm like, okay, I I can use this time to pour it to my podcast and all these other things. But then you realize, bro, you don't have no money coming in, you know, beyond unemployment, which is a quarter of what I was making on my job. And I didn't expect to be out of work for, oh, I'm still out of it, but I'm going to be starting a new job soon. I just got an offer, but it took a long time to get there. And I was like, all my little hopes and dreams are, I don't want to say they're gone, but they're put on pause. I'm like, I have plans for my money. Like I was saving, like I did all that work and here I am like just stuck. So I just learned that even when I think back to moving back home, as much as I didn't want to do it, I needed that season. And now like, as I'm getting ready to start this new job, I'm really excited, but I don't know how I needed this season. Maybe it was just to rest. Maybe it was just to recharge or to get clear on like what God wants for me next. But I'm looking forward to finding the full reason right now. I'm just happy to be getting back to work. <laughs> you know, it was hard, it was hard. But I also can recognize as I went through my ebbs and flows in life, like the Valley always provided me with what I needed for the next season. So I'm excited for that next season and looking forward to my peak. Like this Valley is real dark and depressed. <laughs> but I'm thankful that I had what I needed you know I didn't necessarily have what I wanted all the time but I always can look back on all the seasons whether they're good or bad and learn the lesson so I don't have the lesson just yet but I am thankful for you know just the covering that I have and my beliefs and my faith and my family and even a few friends you know I can sprinkle in most people didn't know what I was going through but 
the few that knew, they really poured into me. So absolutely. Yeah. And congrats on getting the job. I know that COVID had an impact on tons of industries. So that's awesome. All right. So then the next sort of quick question is what's your favorite food or drink? Um, my favorite food, that's really hard because I like food, but I guess I'm going to have to say Mexican food. I'm from Cali, from Oakland, and I really miss Cali style Mexican food. And then my favorite drink is sparkling rosé. <laughs> you know, let me celebrate this new job. <laughs> <laughs> yes, yes, absolutely. <laughs> so question number three, what do you want to be remembered for? Um, I want to be remembered for having an impact on the state of Black wealth, specifically as it relates to real estate. Like, I really want, if I ever get to the end, the way that Cicely Tyson has left the legacy to, like, believe and, like, go after your dreams. And when you enjoy what you do, you don't leave it, you know? Like, even though I have a goal to leave corporate America within 10 to 15 years, I feel like once I leave, everything that I'm doing will take off because I've built my foundation. I've purchased homes. Like I've done the work from a calculated perspective to maintain my lifestyle so that I don't even have to go after investors and stuff for some of the other stuff that I want to do. So I just want to be a well-known voice in the state of Black wealth. And I want to be a part of creating a new definition I'm not about closing the wealth gap. I want us to establish our own wealth gap. But I know that we have tons of things holding us back. But I feel like once you understand the power of money and how to manage your money, like we already are the largest consumers, why aren't we investing our money together? Why aren't we using our money to buy assets? And that all starts in the mind. So a lot of the work that I do, a lot of the work that I had to do, even like leaving my apartment and moving in with my mom, most people aren't willing to do that. But when you see the end goal and how much that opens you, the doors to everything else that you could do, whether that's real estate investment, starting whatever your dream business was, like you have less money going out. So it's about thinking about that in the grand scheme of things and about how the money decisions you make today impact your future. Like I told you, like with my grandparents buying that home and then Decades now down the line, we just sold it and made a huge profit. And a a part of that profit went to me because I was able to pay off my student loan. So just understanding that trickle down effect and how wealth can be the norm for us now. It doesn't have to belong to the 1%. Like I really am all about redefining wealth because wealth isn't just about money to me. It's about having the time and the power and the money to live the life that you want to live. My lane just happens to be in real estate. so. Yeah, I want to leave a lasting impact on how Black wealth is personified. Jocelyn, oh my gosh. Thank you so, so much. You came with all the gems, (laughs) all of them. So where can the people reach you? So I am on, uh, oh Lord, I've been offline so long. I'm on Instagram. Uh, you can follow me at Real Estate Prep Pod, which is all one handle, and it's spelled out completely. My website, I have tons of free resources on there. It's realestateprepod.com. I have a free homebuyers checklist, as well as a five-day homebuyer goals challenge, which walks you through that full process of getting pre-approved. And then I have, whew, I have a book. It's a first-time homebuyers book, which I'm so proud of. This was part of my layoff workbook. It's a workbook. Everything that I learned from my own home buying process and things that I wish I knew, I decided to put it in a book. So right now it's for sale on my website and I'll be adding it to Amazon. Um, And then my podcast, it's Real Estate Prep, which is on Apple, Spotify, whatever you listen to podcasts on. If you you need help, I also have a page on my website where you can listen and stream there. Yes. And if y'all can see it, I know you can't, but her workbook is like a thick workbook, like a workbook workbook. <laughs> yeah. Like people be like, oh, it's an ebook. Like, no, I want you to take this with you as you're looking at homes, like talking with lenders. Like this is when I start again, like I'm going to be using this, even though it's going to be a different scenario. So I plan to promote it a little more. Like I told you, I have to take my little break for my sanity. 
But now that things are looking up, like I'm planning on promoting things a lot more. I'll be bringing back the podcast. So if you decide to follow me and you don't see anything, don't be alarmed. I'm just getting my life together. <laughs> <laughs> but by the time this goes live, I should be I should be back on the interwebs. But well, there you have it, people. Thank you, thank you, thank you, Jocelyn. This was such good information. Thank you. Yes. Um. Ah, oh, that was such good information, DC family. I hope you enjoyed it as much as I did, cause I was in the background just taking notes. Okay. But two major points that I got from Jocelyn. There were plenty, but I'm gonna give you my two major ones. Number one, Jocelyn knew herself prior to investing. There's a lot of different investing advice. If you want to fix her upper, that's your business. But Jocelyn knew. And she did not have the energy or the time to do a fixer upper. So she got a move in ready home, despite popular advice regarding buying your first property. And the second takeaway was towards the end. She said that the valley provided me with everything. Emphasis on everything that I needed for the next season. And, you know, you may have been knocked down in 2020, knocked down in 2016. You know, I don't know your personal story, but I do know that there is hope. And the good book says all things, not some things, all things work for the good of them that love the Lord for those that are called according to his purpose. So if you are serious about home ownership, Jocelyn has a ton of resources on her website, her podcast, and there's a plethora of information online. Many of us did not grow up with homes and we aspire to have homes. And I just want to say, if that's something that you really want, it can be for you. And that pretty much wraps up today's episode. Thank you for joining me. I hope you got some new insights or maybe you just got some confirmation on a couple of things. Let your girl know. Feel free to reach out to me via email, hello at demcoinsonline.com. Also feel free to check us out on Instagram, dem.coins. If you have any good topics, cool new strategies, let me know. And while you're at it, feel free to write an awesome five-star review on Apple Podcasts. Tell your friends about me, okay? (laughs) I am so excited for all of us on this journey. And until next time, stay encouraged.